Chapter thirty six of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six The Aurora. Mr. Hall had an eye for the beautiful in nature. The aurora deeply impressed him, inspiring feelings of awe and reverence. It will be noticed that explorers in the low latitude of Frobisher Bay are treated to displays of the aurora on a scale of magnificence and beauty never seen in the high latitudes of the winter quarters of Dr. Kane and Hayes. Night after night, through the months of October, November, and December, Mr. Hall's sensitive nature was in raptures at the wonderful sights. The heavens were aglow. The forms of brightness and colors of every hue changed with the rapidity of fleecy clouds driven before the wind. Before the mind had comprehended the grandeur of one scene, it had changed into another, of seeming greater beauty, of form, color, and brightness. Thousands of such changes occurred while he gazed. No wonder he exclaims, Who but God could conceive such infinite scenes of glory? Who but God execute them, painting the heavens in such gorgeous display? Again he exclaims, it seemeth to me as if the very doors of heaven have opened to-night. So mighty and beauteous and marvellous were the waves of golden light, which swept across the azure deep, breaking forth anon into floods of wondrous glory. God made his wonderful works to be remembered. Mr. Hall had been on deck several times, witnessing the enrapturing display, and had returned into the cabin to go to bed, when the captain shouted down the companionway, "'Come above, Hall, at once. The world is on fire.' Mr. Hall hastened on deck. He says, "'There was no sun, no moon, yet the heavens were flooded with light. Even ordinary print could be read on deck. Yes, flooded with rivers of light, and such light, light all but inconceivable. The golden hues predominated, but in rapid succession prismatic colors leaped forth.' We looked, we saw, and we trembled, for even as we gazed the whole belt of aurora began to be alive with flashes. Then each pile or bank of light became myriads, some now dropping down the great pathway or belt, others springing up, others leaping with lightning flash from one side, while more as quickly passed into the vacated space, some twisting themselves into folds, entwining with others like enormous serpents, and all these movements as quick as the eye could follow. It seemed as though there was a struggle with these heavenly lights to reach and occupy the dome above our heads. Then the whole arch above became crowded. Down, down it came. Nearer and nearer it approached us. Sheets of golden flames, coruscating while leaping from the auroral belt, seemed as if met in their course by some mighty agency that turned them into the colors of the rainbow. While the auroral fires seemed to be descending upon us, one of our number exclaimed, Hark! Hark! Such a display, as if a warfare were going on among the beauteous lights, seemed impossible without noise. But all was silent. After the watchers, amazed at what they saw, retired to the cabin, they very naturally commenced a lively conversation on what they had witnessed. Captain Buddington declared that, 
though he had spent most of his time for eleven years in the northern regions he had never witnessed so grand and beautiful a scene and he added in an earnest tone to tell you the truth friend hall i do not care to see the like again in november mr hall became acquainted with two remarkable eskimo whom we shall often meet their names were ebirbing and his wife tukulito but were known among the white people as joe and hannah they had been taken to england in eighteen fifty three and lionized there for two years they had visited the great and good of that land at their homes and had aptly learned many of the refinements of civilization queen victoria had honored them with an audience and they had dined with prince albert joe declared that the queen was pretty yes quite pretty and the prince was good very good they made their visit on shipboard in a full-blown english dress but when mr hall returned their visit into their tupic on shore they were in the eskimo costume yet tukulito busied herself with her knitting during his call she said as they conversed i feel very sorry to say that many of the whaling people are bad making the inuits bad too they swear very much and make our people swear i wish they would not do so americans swear a great deal more and worse than the english i wish no one would swear it is a very bad practice i believe tukulito's spirit and example had done much to improve her people especially the women these many of them had adopted her habit of dressing her hair and of cleanliness of person and abode in her and her husband whom we shall meet often we shall see the eskimo as modified by a partial christian civilization mr hall made frequent visits to the eskimo village on shore mingling with the people conforming to their habits and studying their character their summer skin-covered huts tupics had now given way to the igloos the snow-houses essentially like those we have before seen we will accompany mr hall in a visit made in october he found on creeping into a hut a friend whom he knew as a pilot and boatman his name was kujesse he was sitting in the midst of a group of women drinking with a gusto hot seal blood our white visitor joined them and pronounced the dish excellent on going out he was met by blind george mr hall mr hall shouted the blind man on hearing mr hall's voice there was a pensive earnestness in the call which arrested his attention ogarn come to-day continued george he come to-day my little cuckooyer way go she here now speak em ogarn my little pickaninny way go speak em the facts were these ogarn who as we have stated had married george's wife and taken with the mother his little daughter was at the village attended by the latter george who was very fond of the child desired her company for a while mr hall did of course speak em ogarng and the darling cuckooyer were soon seen in happy intimacy with her father mr hall's attention was attracted by an excited crowd who were listening to the harangue of a young man he was evidently master of the situation for at one moment his audience clenched their fists and raved like madmen and then under another touch of his power they were calm and thoughtful or melted to tears he was an angakuk and was going through a series of uncootings or incantations 
his howlings and gesticulations were not unlike those of the heathen priests of the east and of the medicine men of our indians on seeing mr hall the angekuk left his snow platform from which he had been speaking and ran to him with the blondest smiles and honeyed words he put his arm in his and invited him into his tent or place of worship as it might be called others ran ahead and it was well filled with worshippers Kujasi, who was passing at the time with water for the ship on a wave of the angekuk's hand set his pail down and followed all faithful eskimo in this region obey the angekuk if he sees one smoking and signifies that he wishes the pipe the smoker deposits it in the angekuk's pocket when in the tent the angekuk placed kujasi on one side and mr hall facing him on the other side now commenced the service the angekuk began a rapid clapping of his hands lifting them at times above his head then passing them round in every direction and thrusting them into the faces of the people muttering the while wild incoherent expressions the clapping of his hands was intermitted by a violent clapping of the chest on which he sat first on the top then on the sides and end at times he would cease and sit statue-like for some moments during which the silence of death pervaded the audience then the clapping and gesticulations broke forth with increased violence now and then he paused and stared into the farthest recess of the tent with the fiery eyes and the hideous countenance of a demon at the right time to heighten the effect the wizard by a quick sign or sharp word ordered kujasi to fix his eyes on this point of the tent then on that intimating in mysterious undertones that in such places kudlago's spirit shook the skin covering kujasi though one of the most muscular and intelligent of the natives obeyed with trembling promptness while the profuse sweat stood in drops upon his nose eskimo perspired freely only on the nose and his countenance beamed with intense excitement the climax was at hand the angekuk's words began to be plain enough for mr hall's ears kudlago's spirit was troubled would the white man please give it rest one of his double-barreled guns would do it white man white man give kudlago's spirit rest give the double-barreled gun the cunning wizard but mr hall who though brimful of laugh had been a sober-looking listener was not to be caught with his chaff except in his own interest he whispers to Kujase, Would the Angakok be a good man to go with me in the spring to King William's land? Yes, was the reply. Then Mr. Hall turned to the Angakok and said aloud, If you go with me next spring on my explorations, you shall have one of my best guns. Thinking the gift was to be given immediately, his crafty reverence shouted, thanked Mr. Hall, threw his arms about his neck and danced with an air of triumph about the tent seeming to say as he looked upon his amazed followers i have charmed a kablunach white man mr hall tried to set him right about the terms of the gift that it was to be when he had served him in the spring but he would understand it as he would have it his joy found a fullness of expression when pointing to his two wives he said to mr hall one shall be yours take your choice 
He was disgusted when the white man told him that he had a wife, and that Kabluna wanted but one wife. End of chapter 36